We were living out of a hotel at that time in Haiti. And after lunch, we went up to like where the buffet was and there was this yellow piece of fruit there. I was not familiar with it. And we brought it back to the table and cut it. It was all full of strings and juice. So one of the waiters came up and said, hey, this is how you eat the mango. And he started squeezing the mango all around it and making it soft. And then he bites the top off and starts pushing the juice up through the skin. And it was like, you know, a mango slushy, just pure joy. It was sweet, flavorful, messy. And that was my first experience of eating a mango as the locals would eat it. Hello, and welcome to Episode 3 of Tarmac Warriors from SAP Concur Solutions, the show that looks at where business travel is going through the eyes of some truly exceptional business travelers. I'm Heather Greenwood-Davis, and today we're exploring the theme of compliance. Most folks probably think of compliance as tedious, a series of hoops your company makes you jump through when you're out on the road that are destined to slow you down and maybe even cramp your style. But the truth is compliance clears our path. It frees us up to do the things we need to get done. And compliance has never been more important than it is today as we return to travel in the midst of an ongoing pandemic. To appreciate the role of compliance in the life of a tarmac warrior, we thought it could be fun to explore another area where compliance makes all the difference. Mangoes. That's right, you might not know it, but the humble mango is a poster child for global compliance. And our guest today is here to tell us all about it. My name is Michael Warren. I live in South Florida, Pompano Beach, and I am an importer of fruits and vegetables. What we specialize in here are mangoes, and we bring the mangoes in from South America, Central America, Mexico. And we've been doing this here for 45 years. Well, you had me at Mango, but let's go back a little bit. So you were born in Rhode Island, is that right? Rhode Island was my hometown, yes. All right. So then how does a kid from Rhode Island end up in the mango business? Well, my generations go back. My grandfather came over from Russia in the early 1900s, and he was delivering fruits and vegetables door to door in Fall River, Massachusetts with a horse and cart at that time. And at that time, there happened to be a shortage of onions in the country, something to come and take out the onion crop. And he had this idea of bringing some onions in from Egypt. So he brought a shipload of onions and he made a fortune. So then he opened up a larger distribution in Rhode Island. And since then, my father, his two brothers, have been in the business, and eventually he could ask me to come and help him, and that was 45 years ago. Michael's been in the mango business for 45 years, but the mango's been in business for a lot longer than that. I think mangoes were pre-native to India, and we distributed it to the world. In fact, they were still there in some 3,700 BC, and because it is something which Every king had a liking to, had invested in. That's why it has survived. This is Marulika Dash. She's a mango lover and food columnist who's spent years writing about culinary heritage in India. She's also the founder of Kalinga Stories. 
I think throughout history, right from the time of Alexander the Great, who took mango saplings and mangoes from here to Greece, mangoes have been one of the most prized exports from India that reached around the world. By the 16th and the 19th century, most of the Chinese travelers who came here actually took quite a few seeds from here to China. And that's how you have mangoes in China. Between the Dutch and the Portuguese, it is said that a lot of sailors used to take the grafting from here and then sell it across different places. So that's how mangoes went around the world. So mangoes are loved by everyone. I think something like 50 million metric tons of mangoes are consumed each year. But in India, mangoes are a religion, literally. They factor into Hinduism and Buddhism. And as you mentioned, they've been used by kings and rulers throughout history as gifts and for diplomacy. So what makes them so special besides the fact that they're so delicious? I think mangoes symbolize the root of labor. It has a very short life where it is truly in that luscious, uh, voluptuous state in which you can enjoy it. But to reach out to that part, there is this whole effort which goes into it. You have to take care of the saplings till the time it grows into a tree. And mango trees have this interesting habit of not fruiting at times. Much like, uh, you know, life where in spite of everything done, you just don't get that result. I think culturally, mangoes for all of us means that. It's that little success which comes and it is very sweet. So we enjoy it to the fullest. It's like obscene how much we love our mango. Like it's it's one of the sights of our beloved that you will keep you'll going back to every day. It's very hard to explain. This obscene love for mangoes has stayed with Indians and with many other immigrant populations as they've migrated around the globe. Wherever they've gone, mangoes have followed. They said that mango is the most popular food in the world. If you've not had a mango, you've not lived. By Madalika's standards, most folks in North America hadn't really lived until the mid-1990s. That's when the Southeast Asian and South American immigrant populations hit critical mass and the mango importing business picked up in earnest. Which brings us back to Michael Warren. So, Michael, as you know, the listeners of this podcast are primarily business travelers. And like yourself, they are often out there traveling. So tell me about you. How often are you getting out there? Oh, boy. I would say today I spend about 25% of my time traveling. Wow. And uh, I'll always go and visit each area at least once a year. And then throughout the year, We'll be making other visits as a team. Plus, we visit our customers here in the U.S., so it doesn't really stop. And specifically with international travel, how important is that to what you're doing? Well, that's key because very few mangoes at this point are grown commercially in the United States. So the mangoes are coming from one country or another every couple of months. That's what makes mangoes interesting is that You don't rely on one country for a supply for any long period of time. Then you go to where the weather would take you to the next producing area and start over there. 
So not only is Michael traveling between numerous countries, his mangoes are too. And that means different compliance rules and regulations every step of the way. In Michael's case, he has to track all those rules himself. But many business travelers, thankfully, do not. That's the job of the TMCs, or travel management companies. We spoke with Michael Nelson of Senior VP at Direct Travel about what they're doing to make business travel more frictionless and asked him about the compliance that's at the heart of it all. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Can you tell us all about Direct Travel and a little bit about its mandate? Direct Travel is a travel management company providing an efficient and effective path for travelers to book, uh, but also providing support for their company policy, any cost savings goals, reporting, duty of care, any underlying technology to really give some visibility into what's going on with their travel program. So if you think about from the traveler perspective, a managed travel program gives the individuals an, an approved path, if you will, for their bookings. It is, a, for lack of a better term, a, a one-stop shop. And how would you define compliance in the context of what you do? I think you can look at travel compliance in really two different ways. One would be compliance within the travel program. So when you look at that, are they using their online booking tool? How far in advance are they booking? Are they supporting your supplier relationships that you have out there? Preferred car rental, staying at preferred hotels? Because these are essentially already approved vendors and or a path for their travel which to give the, the traveler a sense of safety and security. Right. The other component of compliance would be booking outside of channel. Industry considers this leakage. So if somebody is going to supplier.com and not booking with their travel management company, all of those things that I just mentioned are essentially gone. So what do you wish travelers understood about compliance? I think from a traveler's perspective, they should look at compliance as a way to ease their trip. They should understand that compliance is really their friend. They should have comfort and confidence that they're booking through the preferred channel and they're supporting their organization and they have an underlying support structure that gives them the ability to feel safe while they're on their journey. So what's the downside? What happens if travelers aren't compliant? If travelers are not compliant, it really falls within the realm of you've got engineers that you're paying for engineers and consultants that you're paying as consultants. You want them to focus on their job. So if they are not compliant and going out to multiple websites, you're now paying that individual as an engineer, but they're acting as a travel agent. We know travel is personal, but if you can rely on the experts, you can allow that person to focus on their job. This also translates to while they're on their journey. If they are not compliant on their journey, that engineer or that consultant is now going to spend a significant amount of time trying to research, reaccommodate themselves in order to continue their journey, where if they were compliant, booking through direct travel, they would have the support of our team that could quickly, efficiently, and effectively get them back on their journey and focus on their job. Okay. So as you're designing and thinking about how that traveler is going to use your services, how much are you thinking about where they're going to hit friction along the way or how to make their experience more seamless? Yeah, we think about this all the time. So from our perspective, we look at it from the initial booking and what that experience is going to be like to having that engagement with one of the experienced traveler counselors. And then 
I also think from an industry perspective, when it comes to those friction points, all of the suppliers out there, whether air car or hotel, have really done a great job educating travelers on potential friction points and reducing the number of loads that may occur. What Michael's saying is that compliance should give you peace of mind. If a hotel's on your company's preferred partner list, that means they've been vetted. They offer something, likely many things, that your employer thinks you'll value. They're trusted. They've put in the work to be up to date on all the latest protocols. They may even have some extra perks to give you. I think the first thing is that when you walk into a hotel today, you're going to see some changes probably at every experience. Every We call them touch points, whether it's the front desk, the spa, the restaurants, housekeeping, across the board. It's going to look different in a good way. And some of these things are temporary and some of these things are probably going to be part of our industry moving forward. This is Gus Vonderheide, Vice President of Global Sales at Hyatt Hotels. We spoke with him in our last episode about sustainability. But today we wanted to hear about the compliance steps that Hyatt is taking to set itself apart as a trusted supplier for TMCs like direct travel. Let's start with food and beverage, first of all. You know, the old style buffet that you walk through and fill your plate is certainly not happening today. And I don't know that it will come back in that way at all. Health clubs, weight rooms, exercise areas have all been reimagined. The equipment has been spaced farther apart. There's even in some of our meetings, we've actually gone to a different process that's kind of interesting, a bracelet that is red, yellow, green. And a green bracelet kind of means that I'm vaccinated and I'm fine. If you want to shake my hand or give me a hug, I'm comfortable with that. Yellow is probably, let's connect, but from a distance. And red is like, let's talk across the room. But it's a really great visual way that as you walk up to somebody, you can quickly see where they are in their safety mind, in their mind, and act accordingly. So it's been a really neat approach. And I've seen more and more of that kind of thing happening. That is so cool. You know, something else I was really impressed to learn about was this new role that you've created for a hygiene and cleanliness manager. Can you tell me a bit about that? It doesn't mean that our staffing wasn't living by guidelines of how to care and protect their environment they worked in before. But now having a position that's actually at the property level and making sure it does nothing but checks these touch points and make sure that they're being kept at that level has been a real eye opener for us. And I think it's a little bit of a competitive advantage. I haven't heard of any other brands that have really gone to that level and increased staffing, especially at this time when our hotels are trying to keep the lights on in some cases that we've taken the seriousness of this. Mm -hmm. And then I imagine that business travelers too, I mean, they're going to have new rules as a result of the pandemic and there are going to be new safety protocols in place. We're talking about masks and where they're going to wear them and how many people are in an elevator or any of those kinds of things. What are you doing to help business travelers sort of navigate their compliance? We've made it very clear to the guests on what those rules are, and we expect that they're going to abide by them. And if they don't, we certainly will be professional, but we'll ask them to adhere or to you know, relocate to another area because it's important to the safety of our guests. Gus, we've talked a lot about sort of the mechanics of things in terms of compliance. We've talked about how employees can do their job better or how guests can feel safer. But really, a big part of travel is that guests just want to have a good time, right? They want to have a great experience. So maybe it would help if you could talk a little bit about how compliance actually puts these guardrails in place so that people can have a better time. Well, I think that's 
clearly the experience. And back in 19, a lot of the buzz that was going around in my area was personalization and experience. We wanted to make you feel very special and personalized when you entered my hotel. If I knew something about you, if I knew you liked a high floor, if I knew you liked a feather pillow, if I knew you liked a certain kind of wine when you came to the bar, for instance, that was there for you. And to be able to capture that data and be able to present that personalization was what was really going to be the driver. So that doesn't change in my mind. And those personal touches are all bonus benefits you access as a compliant traveler when you're booking through a trusted supplier, right? At least in Hyatt's case. It may look a little different, but the experience is still what you're going to come back for. The experience is still what you're going to tell your friends about. And that's what's going to bring customers back. It's not just brick and mortar. A hotel is fine. A clean bed is fine. But what can we wrap around that to really make you feel like, oh, I want to go back there again? Because I enjoyed whether it was the destination, whether it was the hotel itself, or anything else that we offer. It really looks similar to me, but maybe with a different component here and there. But I think the key still is to make sure that you're feeling safe and welcome and your experience is positive when you leave because we want you back. So we are excited to have you and we're ready to go. Hey, I'm excited to come. Thanks so much, Gus. My pleasure. You're listening to Tarmac Warriors, a new podcast from SAP Concur Solutions. Join travel writer Heather Greenwood Davis and three extraordinary business travelers, a big wave surfer, a tropical fruit expert, and a climate scientist, and see what we can learn about where business travel is going. Subscribe now. Welcome back. It's a bit mind-blowing to think about all the lengths that these suppliers go to to make it onto the shortlist of a TMC. It's hard to imagine companies being able to cross-check any given supplier's capabilities on their own. And just like they have to rely on trusted partners to help with compliance, so too does Michael when it comes to his mangoes. My name is Bernardo Malo. I was born and raised in Ecuador, South America. And I am a tropical produce grower and shipper in terms of the tropical produce that we work with. Mangoes are one of our main products together with green plantains and other tropical roots. And how do you know Michael Warren? Well, I've known Michael Warren for, let's say, around almost 20 years or so. Wow. And so how do you two work together? We grow pack and ship the product. He receives it in the U.S. and distributes it among different customers, retailers, wholesalers. So he works on our behalf trying to optimize the returns, the commercial returns of the fruit. And we have a very solid and good relationship since many years ago. So Bernardo, what is the journey that the mango goes on from the grove until it gets to the shelf in a U.S. grocery store? Yeah, that's a very interesting question because we all want fruit to arrive as fresh as possible. So that's a permanent challenge. On average, I would say that it's no less than 15 days between mangoes are being picked and they are at shelf levels in the supermarkets. Can you speak a little bit to what the national and industry standards around compliance are for mangoes? First of all, we need the product to be fresh enough and uh, mangoes, just as any other fruits, are usually also graded and inspected by USDA. So they have to comply with the right freshness in order for the consumer to be always in safe ground. 
In addition to that, we have other kinds of compliance which have to do with social and ethical standards that we also need to be in accordance with. And third, we do have to comply with quality standards. And I would say that now with the pandemic and the new world, (laughs) the sanitary measures have become very important. So overall, we need to have traceability for everything we do in order to guarantee that if there is an eventual problem or situation, it's going to be resolved on a timely matter. It sounds like there are so many rules around this fruit. Does the mango have more compliance requirements than the average fruit? Yes. Mangoes follow the same rules in terms of compliance than all the other fruits worldwide grown. But in addition to the normal compliance, since it's a very tasty and sweet fruit, delicious fruit, it also becomes very tasty for the fruit fly. Mangoes that go to the U.S., depending on the size, have to be dipped in hot water for a certain period of time to assure the consumer that there's never going to be any evidence of fruit fly in the mangoes that they bring into their houses. So this is something we take very seriously. We comply very well with it. And I would say it's an extra measure in terms of compliance that mango has. So this fruit fly issue, it's a pretty huge deal. It's the number one issue on top of a laundry list of compliance issues for mango growers and importers like Bernardo and Michael. It's what made us want to talk about mangoes as a proxy for business travel compliance in the first place. So much is required to get this fruit into our hands. But just like in travel, the rules don't restrict our access. They actually create the access. And just like mangoes that travel have to be literally thick-skinned because of those hot water treatments, so do tarmac warriors. We can get in hot water too if we're not careful on the road. This is yet another reason why compliance is so important. It's not just about managing expenses and making sure someone is not booking offline and misusing company money. In the COVID world, failure to comply with certain requirements basically can lead to health risks. It can have high, high financial and medical consequences and impact. So right now, compliance is crucial more than ever. This is Suzanne Sangiovese. She's the Commercial and Communications Director at RiskLine. It's a travel risk intelligence company that provides up-to-the-minute safety information for TMCs and business travelers. So we were founded in 2007 by Kenneth Nordlian, our founder and CEO. Kenneth basically has decades of experience in the security sector, and he really understood the importance of intelligence within the security space. But I'd say not just certain segments of society, so like VIPs or individuals traveling to what you would consider to be kind of traditionally higher risk destinations, but he really saw that this sort of information, this risk intelligence should be accessible to everyone. So in a nutshell, what is it that RiskLine does and how is it related to compliance for companies who are sending out armies of tarmac warriors? I like to think of it that we are your intelligence team. 
You know, many companies don't have this in-house. They just can't, and that's not what they do. So when you're working with a provider, especially like Riskline, you can be rest assured. It's sort of that peace of mind that you have a whole intelligence team that never sleeps. It's making sure your employees know what to expect on the ground, what they should be doing to protect themselves, what they should maybe not be doing on where they shouldn't go based on certain higher risks in some locations than others. Otherwise, I feel if you're not giving your employees this kind of information, they're going into places very blindly without any, without any help. Okay, take me through that a little bit. So in the very beginning, it was really providing country risk assessments. So kind of in-depth country risk reporting of what a traveler could expect at their destination. Since then, we kind of evolved. So it's more localized risk content now, looking at cities, what's happening at the street level. And now it's just really all COVID intelligence all the time, tracking the regulatory changes that are happening uh, in terms of entry and exit requirements, what else is kind of going on on the ground. So we kind of just really uh, evolved from just a web-based sort of portal in the very beginning to doing more APIs, COVID microsites, widgets, all kinds of different stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And what about compliance then? So this particular episode of the podcast is speaking to compliance specifically for business travelers. How does compliance intersect with those duty of care requirements? I kind of like to think about compliance almost like a duty of loyalty. So it's not only just in the fact that the company has to have measures in place to inform and care for their employees on business trips, but it's also the employee has to comply with that policy. It really comes down to the importance of education and informing and communicating the information of what you need to be compliant about, because basically you can't expect someone to comply with something if they don't know what they need to comply with. So website, app, email, kiosk, how are you informing uh, to ensure compliance? And then basically the information you are providing to your customers really needs to be cohesive and consistent. So it's been more than a year of lockdowns now. I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to what the new normal looks like, especially from where you sit at Riskline. What does the new normal of business travel look like to you? I wish I knew. It's been 16 months. I'm still grounded here. I used to be myself a tarmac warrior heading off typically overseas once a month. So business travel for me is very non-existent. So it can be difficult to predict, but I do believe that technology and digitalization is going to play a huge role, especially when it comes to the health documentation part of it, just travel health documentation. I don't think that we will look back in two years and think, wasn't it a funny time when we had to have a digital health passport app for six months? I think these are the kind of things that are going to be standard going forward. So this kind of technical revolution is, I think, definitely here to stay. Thank you so much, Suzanne. So going forward, these technical innovations are what will help Michael continue to deliver delicious mangoes to people across America. Michael, can you describe for me the ideal mango experience? So for me, when I take a mango off a tree, I like what they call fiberless varieties, the ones that, you know, they cut almost like butter. 
The Haitian mango is full of fibers. It can be cut, but the juice will run everywhere. So fiberless mangoes are something that we're going to see more of in the future. It's a 10, 20 year process to find the variety, find the mango that has the taste and flavor experience people are expecting. Make sure that it can handle all the protocols that we have to ship mangoes to the United States. And also that mango will arrive here, get to the consumer and still be attractive to the consumer on the outside and give them that flavor experience on the inside. You know, as you're talking about the fiber in the fruit, it makes me think about travel and how often the flights, the turbulence, the COVID-19 risks, you know, can all feel a lot like fiber. But then you get these rules in place and the compliance, and suddenly you're navigating it all smoothly. And you can get to that actual sweet pulp, you know, the, the reward of travel itself. Absolutely. There's a fiber in life and, you know, human beings need to be resilient. Human beings need to be persistent and never let yourself get caught up in the fiber too long. We have to break through and find our way. Even now, a lot of people still are afraid to go outside. But for me, you know, I, I'll do whatever it takes for me to be able to keep traveling, to visit the people that I deal with, to be down there. You know, my work's not done. I have a huge project of getting that flavor experience to every consumer that picks up a mango. And if I can't get down there to the farms and look eye to eye with the growers and with the people who are out there doing the work, you know, I'm not going to meet my goal. So it definitely isn't going to set me back. Michael, thank you so much. I've enjoyed our conversation immensely. I will be going in search of a mango momentarily. Thank you. Uh, You're very welcome. It's my pleasure. Well, that's our show. I hope you've enjoyed these conversations as much as I have. My guest today was Michael Warren, Secretary of the National Mango Board and President of Central American Produce, Capco Farms. I'd like to thank Michael and all of our amazing guests who've been so generous with their time and expertise over the last few months. It has been such a pleasure getting to know these extraordinary tarmac warriors and learning more about safety, sustainability, and compliance in the business travel industry. We hope you were able to take away some useful insights as well. If you enjoyed the series and you'd like to hear more episodes, let us know in the comments. For SAP Concur Solutions, I'm Heather Greenwood Davis. Thanks for listening.